Southern Queries. I'm India Bastien. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. Together we explore being a part of the LGBTQ community in the South. A quick note on terminology. On this show, we let guests identify in the best way they're comfortable with. Some of the terms or topics might be different, new, or uncomfortable to you. That discomfort is part of what we're exploring together. We encourage you to listen with an open heart and continue these discussions with your larger community. We encourage any meaningful and politeful feedback. Thanks, and welcome to Southern Queries. ways to love. I don't think there's a right or wrong way to love others. Um, And really to expand our knowledge on LGBTQ love, I thought it would be really interesting to have a friend of mine, Frankie Love Edwards, on our show. Not only are they extremely interesting as an LGBTQ barber, um, but they openly talk about being non-monogamous, a love influencer, aka they talk a lot about polyamory. They are also transgender fluid activists and a performer, so there is a lot to unpack there. And I'm not sure if you recall um, this part about my own coming out story, but when I was married to my then husband, Nick, um, while dating Jenna, I had declared that I was polyamorous. I even came out to my family about it because I couldn't fathom not loving two people at the same time. And polyamory really gave me a gateway to understand what was happening. I was really struggling to understand my feelings for women, about my sexuality, and honestly, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fathom the connection that I had with Nick, and the poly lifestyle was the only way that I could explore the feelings that I was having for two people in a, in a safe way. Through that lifestyle, I was really able to come to terms with myself that I was gay and it was extremely painful for all of us in different ways when I came out. Um, But it was also very magical, at least momentarily, being in a relationship with two people at the same time. At least it was for me. And boy, I made some really interesting friends in the poly community. A couple of them even branched out and created a community called the Poly Pockets, who I still follow on Instagram. I still think about all the incredibly valuable lessons I learned from them and what I learned when exploring more about the polyamory and non-monogamy communities. And I carried those valuable lessons with me um, after to my other relationships, even though they were monogamous. Um, I still hold a lot of value on the lessons on communication, self-awareness, making sure that you understand your feelings and communicate your needs and wants and come up with really good solutions. I cannot emphasize how good communicators, people who are in polyamorous relationships. So I'm really pumped. Um, I'm excited. Let's welcome Frankie Love Edwards to the show. Frankie Love Edwards is an FTM, or female to male, non-binary trans man. As well as being an Atlanta-based queer activist, Frankie is the owner and master barber at Head Canvas Barbershop, where he specializes in providing inclusive, gender-affirming haircuts for all humans. Frankie was born and raised in the South, 
commanding a presence as a young queer activist in the Atlanta suburbs, where he became the president of his high school's very first GSA. Becoming a hairstylist allowed Frankie to channel his artistic activist energy into the creation of Head Canvas Barbershop, which serves as a safe space for people of all genders, sexualities, and hair types. Between modeling for Goering Brothers hats, styling hair backstage at New York Fashion Week, and having his face on billboards for the Netflix reboot of Tales of the City, Frankie has been given some incredible opportunities to be visible as a transgender activist. Frankie and his wife, Rachel, married in 2019 and are happily non-monogamous. They love their dog, Prince, and hope to add to their family in the future. Pre-COVID, Frankie has performed as a boylesque dancer. Frankie, welcome to the show. Thanks, how are you? Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And what a good way to end that bio, right? With the fact that I was a boy lasker. <laughs> In the pre-COVID days, before, right. when we were allowed to go out and talk to people and touch people, when the fun was existing still. No, when it wasn't all virtual. Yes. <laughs> uh, so can you tell us first, how do you identify um, and why is that identity important to you? So I personally identify as a gender bender first of all because i uh, some days i feel like it can fluctuate you know for me but um normally non-binary trans masculine i use he they pronouns uh, depending on how i'm feeling sometimes the fluidity can be more masculine of center mm -hmm. and sometimes it could be a little more you know feminine of center so i think being a non-binary person can be a little confusing so for me, the word queer is something that really embodies how I feel all the time. And I feel proud to identify as queer because I think that that term used to be seen as negative in many ways. And then also has been, you know, reborn, if you will. And you can have power in that. And I can identify as queer and feel good in my identity and also, people like my wife can identify as queer, and it won't necessarily depict the person that she loves or in any way that they identify, or if they were assigned a certain way at birth, if you will. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. I love that. That was a great answer. Um, I'm assuming you had more than one coming out moment. Uh, can you tell us about them, and how does it incorporate in your life in the South? Absolutely. So the first time um, I came out, I wasn't able to come out myself. I was actually outed. Oh. So, yeah, oh, no. which is something that is never okay. You should never out someone. You should always give them the space to be able to do that. No matter if you're a friend, a parent, a, a partner, no matter what, you allow that person to do it themselves. So for me, I was 16 and I was outed because I was at a theater show with my first love, my first girlfriend, and we were probably like holding hands, you know, and I like kissed her on the cheek and somebody's mom called my mom and my mom calls me and I thought like somebody had died. I thought somebody straight up died. She's like, come home right now. And I was like, oh my God, I gotta go. And I go home and she like lost her shit essentially. Wow. So it took my mom and if anybody knows my mom now, fast forward to me being 31, she's super supportive 
and super, you know, amazing. I even took her to a gay straight alliance meeting that I went and spoke at at my original high school. Um, wow. Yeah. And so she's very much changed, but in the beginning, she took it really hard, like a lot of parents, because she didn't understand. And for me at that time, I thought that I was just gay. You know, I didn't really, I just pretty much the same, very androgynous. Um, I always wore like sports bras and stuff like that really early on. And then I started realizing that I was uncomfortable. And so then I started binding um, when I was like maybe 20. And so a couple years passed and it just wasn't enough. And so I started being like, I don't want these pronouns. You know, I identify gender fluid, I identify gender queer. And so it was empowering for me to be able to come out for the second time and be able to do it myself, you know, and do it the right But it definitely came in like levels. And I think that a lot of gender non-conforming people can relate to that because it's like, everybody's different. You know, this is just my story. But mm -hmm. I know that in the beginning, I didn't care about pronouns as much, you know? I was like, oh no, no, it's okay. You can use whatever pronouns you want. You know, it doesn't matter. You can use she, her, they, them, whatever. And then one day it mattered. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. One day I was like, ugh, I don't like that, please, ugh. But there were times uh, for me, and like I said, for a lot of people, that you don't want to correct people. You don't want to feel weird. You're like, they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry I didn't. And you're like, I'm just gonna, you know, like, or if they misgender you, you don't want to be like, that's not my pronoun, you know? But in really, in, on the inside, you're like, that's not my pronoun. Why did you, what made you think, what in your head, you looked at me and you sized me up and you said, this person has female anatomy. You know, this person, I'm going to judge them by their cover. And that's like the, one of the biggest things I teach people is to not judge anybody by that. Okay. Like they, you literally rode them like a book and then you're going to assume what you think in your head or what society would think, right? Yeah. So if you just go ahead and take that back and just don't gender them at all, you could save them and yourself a lot of trauma. Essentially. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just for quick, just for clarification, yeah. you were outed before you were president of your GSA or which came first? So, yeah, it was, I was outed before. Okay. I was yeah. president um, junior and senior year. Mm -hmm. And I, I was outed in uh, junior year. Okay. All right. So yeah, but it's funny. I was out at school. You know, everybody at school knew. We were like hold hands in the hallway and stuff. So it was just a matter of time. But I was scared. My parents like, and then they sent me to <laughs> conversion ther therapy, essentially. Yeah. See, and that's why I ask is because a lot of people wonder why do we need uh, GSAs or gay-straight gay alliance clubs at school or more what we are now calling more gender sexuality alliance groups at school. It's because sometimes these are safe spaces at school Absolutely. when students aren't ready to be out at home or out in public. So sometimes these GSAs provide those safe spaces. So I just, I thought that was very interesting. It's in it's insanely important. One of the meetings I went to, um, I went there two weeks in a row and I asked the kids the first time because their kids are young, they're awkward, you know. Um, I was like, next week when I come back in, 
I'm gonna bring a guest. Would you guys prefer me to bring my wife, partner of a, gen, uh, you know, a trans person and a queer person, you know? Or would you like me to bring my mom? They all voted for my mom. Really? Really? Yeah. They wanted to know what a supportive parent looked like. Oh, that's so tragic that they had to go to your mom. Right. And bring your mom in so that they can feel that parental support. And what's funny about Jenna too, um, so Jenna was one of my first like lesbian friends. And she was like a year older than me. Um, You know, I loved Jenna to death. And she came over to my house and my mom was like, what's, what's going on with this? And I was like, oh, no, no, we're just friends. She's, <laughs> she's a lesbian, but I'm not, you know? And my mom's like, mm-hmm. And I'm I don't like, know about that. <laughs> right, exactly. And then she's like, then she tells these kids, she said, I remember one time, and I didn't remember this. She told me that. She told me this for the first time in front of these kids. She said, do you remember the time after I said, you've been hanging out with that girl, Jenna, you know, like, do you, are you gay or something? And I said, no, mom, of course not. And she said, if you were, I would be embarrassed. Wow. Wow. And I was, and then she's like, I'm so sorry. And she like apologized to me in front of these kids. And I was like hearing this for the first time. And I was like, waterworks, tears. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I think uh, I, I actually erased that in my brain, mom. Yeah. Now I remember it. <laughs> what a yeah. healing experience though. Um, follow up um, question. You said that you came out later. Um, in your 20s, right, as trans, did you Mm -hmm. have a second coming out occasion with your mom? So with them, so I feel like it was very, like, subtle. So I told them for a long time, like, I'm identifying this way. They've seen me wearing binders. They see my presentation. They see all of that. Um, And then when I started seeing Rachel, when I was 27 is when we met, and Rachel met me in identifying male, he, him, I was not medically transitioning, but I was trans, transgender. And that's another thing that people misinterpret. So when people ask questions, sometimes I have to correct them and I have to be, you know, I have to make sure that I educate them in a way that they're receptive, if that makes sense. So if I'm talking to someone and they say, so how long have you, um, how long have you been trans? Or how long has your transition, you know, been going? Or they ask me, like questions when they want to say, how long have you been medically transitioning? That would be the correct question to ask. Mm. But um, not everybody wants to answer that question, okay? I am a person that will, but not everybody needs to, deserves to. It's none of their business. They don't have to say shit, okay? You can say as much as you want about it. But when people ask that, they typically think that it's like, when you start transitioning you know what i mean so like for me i was already out and then rachel is this person that's coming in here like oh why are you using she pronouns and calling him this wait no 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 his pronouns are this and was sticking up for me Hmm. so she created confidence in me more to where i could transition because previous partners before her weren't like they were not they like respected and um, loved me, but then I would be putting on binders and they'd be like, hey, can you not get top surgery? I love your chest. And I'd be like, fuck you. Mm. You see the pain I feel when I look at this? Do you see it? Like, 
And so Rachel was the first one to stick up for me and do that for me. So then my parents started finally listening. Yeah. It really set with them because my clients, they all use he, him pronouns, my friends, everybody else for years and years, you know, before I was on the hormones, before any of this, you know, because I wanted to make sure that before I did anything medically, that it was the right decision. I went to a therapy, you know, specifically for, to make sure, you know, I'm going for this. And therapy, you don't need therapy. You don't need to go to therapy for like just a reason like that. Everybody should be in therapy, you know? Yeah. Normalizing therapy. If you got a boring life and you just have this boring job, get some therapy, honey. You know what I'm saying? But for me, I was like, I'm gonna make sure this is the right thing. So, and then another way that I've had to come out is coming out is non-monogamous. Mm. So that is another thing to come out. So like, I'm well, no, I just, I mean, just, I mean, just to clarify, and I don't, I'm sorry for interrupting. Oh, no problem. Um, just for everybody that doesn't know, what is non-monogamy? And is that the same thing as polyamory? So non-monogamy and polyamory are similar. Okay, okay. So non-monogamy means that you practice a essentially an open relationship but it has boundaries set to it depending on the partners involved mm. so polyamory means multiple love poly you know what i mean two plus whatever that means so like people can identify as an open relationship or not monogamous and they could be swingers right yeah so people that are monogamous okay mm. That's dan savage's coin term which is one of my favorite terms yeah. <laughs> um, and Savage is great too. Um, one of my friends, Jesse, is working with him right now. He's and his podcast is really great talking about non-monogamy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. <laughs> yes. Right. So having multiple loves. So like in the beginning of me and my wife's relationship, she I was like, hey, I want to be non-monogamous. And she's like, okay, I have experience with that. But she said that she would be a good partner to support me if that makes sense. So she's like, I'll hook up with other people with you. You can have date other people, but I don't want to date anybody else. Okay. She wanted to have okay. that winger thing in the beginning. Yeah. But then we kind of played that a little bit. I took out some girls. We had fun with some other people together. And then as we grow and develop as, you know, more of a couple, we have, now we have a mutual partner that we have had for a year and a half together that initially started out for Rachel only because I had another partner. So we were trying to find her a secondary partner. And then I ended up um, having feelings for Emery, our partner. Um, but I kind of pushed that away for a while. Cause I was like, no, 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 they're for, they're for Rachel. You know, I'll hook up with them, but that's, that's Rachel's thing. And so I didn't like allow myself to be okay with it for a while. But that also comes with the complications of being in a non-monogamous relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, but like to, but to, again, to answer your question again, like poly multiple loves, you yeah. know, that's like you're in loving relationships. It's not just sex, non-monogamous, okay. monogamish, you can do this, but it's all about setting your own boundaries. So each couple, if you have a hierarchy system, you know, kind of thing, or if you don't, or if you'll, have a nesting partner and then your secondary partner is not a nesting partner you know what i mean there's just different levels of poly you know what i mean yeah, yeah. No, i totally get it thank you thank you and I, and I i wanted to ask because oftentimes i find myself myself and i hear other people using the terms interchangeably 
and I read a lot about when I read about the poly community, they're you're used interchangeably, and I know there's a difference. And I've never been able to articulate as well as articulate it as well as you just did. So thank you. Yeah, and I also think it's important to clarify that both poly and non-monogamy lifestyles are consensual. So all of the people Mm -hmm. (laughs) are consenting and are aware of what's happening. Yeah, if it's 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 only good if it used to be consent is sexy, but now it's just consent. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you learn about non-monogamous lifestyle? Like how did it come into the picture? Right. When I met my wife, Rachel, um, in the beginning of being with her, I wanted in previous, you know, partners, I was monogamous and I really wanted to be non-monogamous. I wanted ideally what I have now. Okay. A perfect, awesome primary partner that loves me and appreciates me and, um, we have our relationship and then we can have other relationships because for me, I feel that I have so much love to give that sometimes one person just isn't enough. And it doesn't mean that Rachel isn't enough. It means that I want to give it all. There's enough Frankie to go around. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like where I want to, and that's the other thing that people get mixed up on too. Just because you're non-monogamous or polyamorous or whatever you want does not mean you want to sleep with everybody, does not mean you'll be with anybody, means that you're selective and you can fall into poly pitfalls if you aren't selective, you know? So that's, so my education is from my beautiful, wonderful wife who has a lot more experience in in non-monogamy than I do. And then um, I've taken many classes, like we've gotten to um, Frolicon and, you know, taught classes there. Um, We've attended classes at DragonCon. We have a network of polyamorous friends, like the burlesque, you know, kind of community Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, we pre-COVID used to do a lot more, uh, has a inner kind of locking non-monogamous group. And it's also interchangeable with like the dragon con people so like poly people are everywhere and sometimes they're more stealth it's almost like being transgender or being queer sometimes people are stealth about their non-monogamy because of their families or because of their job or because of you know stigma because it's taboo and people don't fully understand it you know what i mean and for me and rachel you know there's been times where we've had some major poly pitfalls okay and i mean to the point where we never i never think we're gonna you know get divorced or anything because she's like literally the perfect person for me um and we're both growing together that's the difference you know what i mean but there are times where you have to have some really intense conversations where i I think and that's one of the things that i've heard about as a criticism of polyamory That question of can you sustain it over the long term? You got to fight for it. Well, you got to think about it. Monogamy. You are trying to make one person your everything. Okay? This one person. I cannot be Rachel's everything, y'all. Okay? I am only one person. I can be most, I can like be on most days. I can take care of her. I pack her lunch for her. I cook her dinner. I you know, take care of her. I love taking care of her, right? But I also gotta take care of myself. Mm-hmm. I gotta take care of my business. I gotta take care of my other partners. 
I got to take care of the amount of attention that I need, that I know, that I had to accept. I had to be like, all right, you need a lot of attention. Yeah. yeah How absolutely. are you going to get fulfilled in this? Because if you want all this attention from Rachel, she's going to be exhausted. Okay. You need to spread. And so we think of it as a village, right? So that's like the mindset that you think about it being non-monogamous is that it's a village mindset to where like um, if I hang out with one of my other partners, um, she and I are similar age. My wife and I are seven year difference. And we have like the same growing up music nostalgia kind of stuff that like when I, you know, we can listen to like the same shitty music from when we were like teenagers. Yeah. We have like a very like, she's like super funny. So like me and her are like really like, you know, kind of witty with each other. So we just like really vibe like that. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that my wife's not funny. It doesn't mean that I don't have awesome music to listen to with her. It means yeah. that I get fulfillment and excitement off of this, you know? And then when I have, like I've been seeing somebody new, which is hilarious, like, right, dating in a pandemic. I met her gardening a couple months ago, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, tell me about that. It, well, she was my neighbor, okay? So, of course, like, we don't, you know, get near each other or touch each other for months. But, like, so as soon as we actually started seeing each other after we got COVID tested and got consent from my wife and had lots of conversations, you know, which is important, we, you know, started seeing each other. And I come home and I'm, like, beaming and excited, you know? Oh. And Rachel's just, like, living for it. And she is having what's called compersion. Mm -hmm. So compersion is when you have the opposite feelings of jealousy. You are mm. so excited to see your person so happy and so full of love. And it makes it where you can love them better and they can love you better. And sometimes you get to reap the benefits of that, especially mm -hmm. in that situation. I was like, get in the bedroom, you know, like shower <laughs> first because that's what we just, that's what one of our agreements is, but you know what I mean? So. And I didn't also fully see it. So when we first, like, you know, previously, like three years ago, we had a, one of our first, like, group, you know, kind of sex settings was around my birthday. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is my life right now. You know what I mean? But the day after, me and my wife went and got lunch, and we were just connected. Like, I can't explain it. It was this, like, feeling I've never felt before. And it was like, oh my God, we have great sex, but that was great. But it was like, we shared this um, experience together that makes me love her more. and makes me so much more attracted to her. It makes me so like, wow, I didn't know you were into that. Cool, you know, learn something different, you know? And it makes you see through a different lens, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when people before, they were like, oh, but when you're with other people, it makes you love your partner more. I'm like, why would you do that? I'm like, why, why can't she be with me? Why she got to be with him or with them or with her? You know what I mean? You can't yeah, think about it in a comparison way because that person isn't me. You know, I'm not that person. We're just different people. And until your person or your primary, your secondary, your whatever, until they give you a reason to be insecure, you should trust them. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. You said so many powerful things in that. And I got to say, learning about compersion, 
during my non-monogamous lifestyle was so powerful. And it's really hard to explain to people who are monogamous, mm -hmm. but if they experience it, it's so rewarding. Yep, and you can have it in monogamy. Yeah. You can have it. Hundred percent, and yeah. and and encouraging that kind of like, hey, that person just flirted with you. Your ego is boosting. You feel good. Yeah. Look good. It mm -hmm. like you know, you everyone reaps the benefits, and I think it's very healthy to keep that in mind that you can still have these feelings in monogamous lifestyles. Mm -hmm. I um, also really admire and continuously. Uh, tell people that it's really important to not look for your other half because um, we're whole people and yep. just to find another whole person. And that's what's so beautiful to me. That's what brought me a lot of knowledge in non-monogamous lifestyle is learning that I'm a whole person and I don't need to be that emotional laborer for that one person and be their everything. Exactly. In fact, I think it's kind of toxic and we need to have good communities, friends, you know, platonic loves, or if you're in a non-monogamous lifestyle, it's actually really rich to have multiple partners. Yeah. Um, at least that's my own experience. So I'm fighting with you. <laughs> that's a great, no, that's a great way to put it. And, and in the beginning, Rachel kind of helped um, make it really resonate with me thinking about it like sprinkles. So like, I have my ice cream, right? She's my favorite kind of ice cream. I don't need anything else. I can eat that ice cream by itself. But then you put some sprinkles on top of that ice cream. The ice cream better. Great analogy. I guess. I put, put some syrup on that shit. You love I mean, it. This All of this sounds so good in theory, but I mean, I guess, you know, I'm such an introvert and I tell my wife, I barely wanted to get married. And I barely thought, okay, maybe we should date. Uh, I'm just more on the idea of I'd rather be alone. All of this multiple people thing sounds exhausting. I kind of, you know, I joke when I say I don't even want my one wife, but I don't even want my one partner, right. but it just sounds like you're giving a lot. Do you take time to yourself or for yourself? Or do you feel like you always have to be around people? Or how does that work? I like to be around people personally and going from having- People are exhausting Right. <laughs> They're so tiring to me. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised. <laughs> me and my wife were so busy before the pandemic and this silver lining of it made us slow down. Mm -hmm. And that has been really good for us, you know? It's, it is hard to be poly in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow I met a new partner though, I'm like, I think we just found our show title. Thank you. Right. Okay, we're gonna, I'm going to write that yeah. down. That's now the show title, Polly in a Pandemic. Um, <laughs> Polly performing, I'll just, I'll make it work. I'll make it an alliteration. I mean, you know, and people, people in monogamous relationships, right? Yeah. They're, like you were saying, India, there's a lot of toxic things in it. And when you dissect it a little bit, it doesn't mean that monogamous relationships are bad. It means the toxic ones are bad, right? right. So I'll notice situations now that I'm woke, as I say, poly woke, okay? So <laughs> I'll be like out with a friend and um, she'll talk about her boyfriend doing something or whatever. And then I'm like, why would you care about that? You know, like, I'm like, what, what has he has he done anything? And she's like, no, but why would he do that? Why would he hang out with a girl? Like, what do you mean? Has he given you a reason to be insecure? You sound insecure to me. 
Yeah. You know, and then there'll be like situations where uh, I see like major controlling, you know, like I've dated women in the past that for the back, for the lack of a better term, just didn't like the way that women were around me and how much of a flirt I am. And I was like, honey, you're going to have to get over that. Because personally, I am not a, you know, I'm not like trying to do anything negative. If anything, what I do is build people up and want to just shower people with compliments. You know, so if I'm flirting with you, it's because I want to give you, you deserve that, you know? And it's not like I'm flirting with uh, intentions of whatever. I'm very realistic, you know what I mean? If I flirt with you a little bit, that's cool, all right. I'm not gonna like sleep with everybody, you know what I mean? And when your partner won't let you literally talk to someone else that's, you know, assigned email at birth and AFAB, mm -hmm. uh, that is just not, healthy yeah and so I, re I remember being like talked into being uh jealous of someone my I dated a girl and her boyfriend her ex-boyfriend was there he's a cool dude I don't care whatever he didn't make me feel weird and she's like are you weird that he's talking to me and I'm like no and she's like um you should be weird and then her friend's like why are you not being weird and I was like fuck all right now I guess I'll be jealous you know like and so I got manipulated into being jealous. Mm -hmm. And my brain over the past, up until a few years ago, was in that brain. So I had to unlearn these bad habits in my head, you know? Yeah, society really puts a lot of pressures on what relationships should look like. Um, but switching gears a little bit, yeah. I have seen um, your wife, Candy, at burlesque shows. Give it up for Miss Candy LaCour. <laughs> you both perform in fact and I follow Candy on social media and I love your guys's dynamic it's such an intense loving relationship how did you two meet oh yes that lovely tale okay so I worked at a previous barber shop that was in like the um like the Highlands area it was like years ago um and back then uh we, I, we could walk everywhere. Like I lived across the street. It was so walkable, you know? So I was single and a girl that I worked with was like, there's this party next door. It's like a pinup burlesque show party. It's free. We should go. And I was like, I'm going to shaky knees. I don't want to go. And she's <laughs> like, dude, you're single. Come on, let's go. And I wasn't going to go. And then these guys that Candy knows, and I met at this moment, came in with champagne glasses and were like, hey, y'all want to come next door? So that was what convinced me. Like the last, I was like, champagne. Okay. I'll stop by. <laughs> so we go inside and my friend is like a, you know, like femme girl. And I was like, don't cockbock me. Okay. I was like, you got to stay over there. If we're over here for me to be like looking for a cute girl, you know, so she, she kept being like, okay, I'll go over here. So we go get in line for a drink and then Candy walks in and she's wearing like seven inch heels and she's six foot flat footed. And I'm six, I'm six. Very three. Tall. <laughs> so I was like, how is this girl taller than me? So I was just captivated by her and I just kept staring at her and Brooke was like, dude, stop staring, you know? And I was like, I'm just fucking beautiful. So I don't know if I would have talked to her or not, right? 
So we get our drinks and we go back and we're watching the show and me and Candy's mutual friend grabbed both of us and introduced us and said, Candy, this is Frankie. Frankie, this is Rachel. Just like that. And I was like, what? And I was like, uh, and I was like, wow, oh my God. And she was like, sorry, my performer name is Candy. My name is Rachel. And literally like one of the first things I said to her was like, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. You're the most beautiful girl here. I've been staring at you all night. <laughs> she was like, oh my gosh. And like, then, you know, we just started talking and I bought her a drink. And then I was like, I gotta go to this festival. I got tattooed for this, you know, but, I, but I'm gonna take you out. Mm -hmm. And she was like, okay. And when, before I left, we hugged and it was like this hug that like, I felt like, oh, it was like, I don't know. But mm -hmm. literally the moment that we like locked eyes, I swear is like the closest thing to love at first sight I've ever felt. Oh, that's a beautiful so sweet. story. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, oh, that is very sweet. <laughs> It's sweet and it's also fun and it's also it just romantic. It's, it's romantic. She and wore it, the dress um, uh, that she met me in when we got married. Oh, stop it! That's oh. even more romantic. <laughs> so um, let's. Um, I want to know more about what's next for you as a barber. What's going on in your life as a barber? You know, uh, part of your introduction was uh, inclusive gender affirming haircuts. So like, tell me more, what's yeah. going on? So gender affirming haircuts, that's one of my number one um, forms of activism, I feel. And I've been doing hair for almost 11 years. And I have worked at several different barber shops and salons earlier in my career. And for me, providing a safe space for the community and marketing myself as a LGBT inclusive um, barbershop is so important because there are plenty of places for cisgender, non-queer -identi non identifying people to go and get their hair cut and feel fine and mm -hmm. feel safe and not have a question and not be concerned or whatever. But for gender non-conforming folks, sometimes we walk into a wherever. So say you walk into a salon and um, you're a AFAB assigned female at birth that is androgynous, that has like a short haircut, but the person tries to give them a more feminine haircut because of the way that they present or the fact that they aren't masculine enough to receive a haircut like that. Or they will have to pay the pink tax so mm -hmm. since they are a AFAB, they're going to have to pay more money for a women's haircut. So my haircuts are not gendered. You come in with hair and it's short, short haircut and a long haircut. And for me, that makes sense. I don't know why we would gender hair. Um, it goes back to like, do kids play with toys with their genitals? No? <laughs> I don't, no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Right. <laughs> so why don't we not gender hair like let's stop like what the fuck y'all so like i love right it's just an easy way to put it and people are like damn that is kind of that, that's, hey, that's how i feel about razors and how that there is like green razors oh, and yeah. pink ones i'm like mm, okay right. <laughs> i know even when i was identifying more feminine i got the male razors because i feel like they're sharper they are <laughs> 
Oh, okay, I'm not the only I one that thinks that. I never saw a women's okay, razor. Okay. Right? I always yeah. think that, but okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, with your, so with your barbershop, I know, you know, I'm African-American, and there's always an issue of race and hair salons, race and barbershops. Uh, they're not always the most welcoming or inclusive places, and that's one of my biggest struggles is I hate getting my hair done. Right. In large salons because there's so many people and it's such a black environment that I'm not always sure how welcome I am as a trans woman. So it really is, it's one of those anxieties I've had for years. And even before transitioning, I hated going to the male barber shops, and now I don't like going to the female salons. Mm-hmm. And so, and in so where do you go? Like, well, I have found stylists that are queer friendly and have those like private booths where it's just mm-hmm. me and them yep. and it's not the big thing with everybody there and all the gossip and everything. Yep. I find, I go to private booths and I find that works better for my anxieties, but uh, is like, how did, like, what's your experience like with, you know, African-American or textured hair or things like that? Right, that's a great question. So I did um, primarily, um, you know, feminine presenting people's hair for the mm-hmm. first four years of my life. So I did mostly like longer hair and more like feminine presenting people. And then I started specializing in shorter hair and started working at a barbershop. And when I started working there, I realized that I needed to get my master barber license to be able to perform straight razor shaves and also learn how to do textured hair. Yeah. Because in cosmetology school, they don't teach you shit about they that. They don't teach uh, textured or black hair in cosmetology school you, at all relaxers but yeah. like that's so annoying anyway yeah. so I went back to school so that way I could be completely versatile I can do you know long hair short hair textured hair shaves beards you know what I mean stuff like that so I had to get a separate license for that so not all folks um, have that licensing and didn't get that education that I've been lucky enough to have gotten um, so sometimes that is, that can be helpful, but I hear you on that. When I was in barber school, um, I was the only, I, there was one other white person and I was, uh, there was one other AFAB there, you know, assigned female at birth. And so I stuck out a lot. And a lot of people, like I would get clients that would be like, can you cut my hair? You know, hey, hey white girl, can you cut my hair? And like, you know, I owned it and was like, yeah, I can. I've been doing hair for four years. Come here. Yeah. You know? And so it's nice to be like, yeah, see this white boy do this. Uh, you know, and for me, I know my specialties, right? Like textured hair is not my specialty, right? Mm-hmm. Do I have textured hair clients? Absolutely. I cut the shit out of their hair because I have learned their hair. I've learned their hair type. I've worked with it. I've educated myself more. You know what I mean? But do I have a 50 50 percent you know um people of color um clientele and 50 percent not that's not really I, I can't really judge that because i do have a lot of people of color in my clientele um i would say for me i feel pretty comfortable cutting pretty much anybody's hair like a fade on a black person a mixed person a this person or that person i will figure it out you know what i mean like but at the same time, a lot of people don't take the time to educate themselves on textured hair because it is hard. And if you're a barber, you have to, you know yeah, what I mean? You have to. You have you to. Like, no. So I 
went out of my way to get the extra education and get that on my arsenal. And I still, you know, educate myself and stuff like that. And I still think that they should have a lot more education in cosmetology school for textured hair, but, and barbering. I had one day of men's cutting in cosmetology school. Wow, I had no idea that that was more of a like learned trade I uh, through it other is. people. I yep. thought it was something you could learn at cosmetology. Right. Huh, learn new right. things every day. <laughs> so, and like you were saying, Aubrey, so I was working, um, I've worked in salons, I've worked in other barbershops, you know, for other companies and stuff like that. I had a previous barbershop with business partners. So now I have created a solo space for just me and my clients. Yeah. So yeah. when the pandemic happened, um, shortly after that, I left the barbershop that I was at at the time. And for me, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to cut hair right now? You know what I mean? Like I have to touch people. So what I did was I went and I educated myself and I took almost 10 hours of extended education on different platforms. And um, some of it was necessary so I could get my head canvas barbershop license, but only three hours. So I kind of overdid it a little bit. But for me, I would rather overdo it. And I got my barbicide COVID-19 certification. Like I've really been overly educating myself because I want to create a safe and sanitary environment for me and my client. Mm -hmm. And so now I have like a pretty large space and it's indicator and I've created my own little speakeasy, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and it's really nice and like it's really secluded and safe and it's clean and I have like things spaced out. So like if I have one client that has a roommate or they're in the same quarantine and they're going to get both get a haircut, the other person can sit, you know, it's almost 10 feet over there across the room on a couch and mm -hmm. I clean for like 20 minutes after. <laughs> so like that's like the COVID-19 changes for me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now I have my own brand that I can invest in. It's my brand, not anybody else's. And like for people like you, Aubrey, like I have a safe secluded environment that will make everybody feel comfortable because the relationship that you have with your barber or your stylist is so intimate. And after I've finally educated myself and figured out how I can do it safely, I'm so grateful to be able to do it again because I get so much fulfillment out of being able to provide, you know, just making someone, it doesn't have to be a gender affirming haircut just for me to be validated, just to yeah, make yeah. feel confident, make someone feel, you know, just the look on their face, even if it's like some random basic, you know, cis dude that's like got this basic haircut that he won't let me change, but you see the difference on his face when he walks out and he feels comfortable. Or like one of my, I have this young trans kid who just turned 16 and he really idolizes me a lot and I love that kid so much and he comes in here and the older he gets the more foreshadowing I see of how like so much similar to my childhood but he has someone that he can idolize now you know what I mean but I try to be the best version of myself but also show to him that I'm human because Frankie I think it's here. Yeah, and I think it's super important to have spaces like your barbershop. Uh, I know that, for example, my partner, Allison, when she first got her more masculine of center haircut, it was life-changing for her. Her confidence was boosted up up to oh. the nines. I mean, 
and she no longer goes to women's salons. She goes now to a barber because she doesn't see herself that way. Right. And for me, I knew that I wanted to find a barber or a hair stylist that wouldn't judge my duality. I have a, a pretty intense undercut. And so I know it's becoming more popular now, but at the time when I got it, it wasn't like, because I'm more femme presenting, I got a lot of judgment and questions. So because getting your hair done is so intimate, I think it's really important to find a person who's going to help you stylize the way you want to look in a safe mm -hmm. environment. So mm -hmm. super excited about your project. Um, to kind of wrap up our little chat, I do want to ask you something that we ask all of our guests. What does queer in the South mean to you? So queer in the South to me. Oh, that's such a, there's so many answers to that. Okay. I would say for me, it is a, word that I take a lot of pride in, that I feel um, that maybe when I was younger I wouldn't have taken as much pride in it because I didn't fully understand how powerful it is, especially when it's been reborn and mm -hmm. re and changed and given this powerful meaning now. And people like myself that have felt queer and felt this, you know, just identity their whole life, you know, it sometimes when it's put into this negative eye even now like i've still heard people use it you know what i mean in a negative way sometimes and i'm like yeah i'm a queer what you know like i'm owning it you know what i mean yeah. like not like yeah i'm queer yeah i'm queer um, you know it's like yeah what what's up you know like and for people that are like oh i thought that's a bad word you know or um like i mentioned earlier how like how my wife she can identify as queer and it is so easy because it's hard to explain to you know some generations like that she's not a lesbian you know it's like no she's not a lesbian she's queer it's like no she's not with a woman you know so she can take this identity and utilize that and it can be like a a, a blanket you know and it's like the queer umbrella you know mm -hmm. what i mean and yeah. a lot of people how you identify is what you identify there's some you know, non-binary people that don't want to identify as transgender, even though that's technically the identity that you are because you're not cisgender, you know what I mean? But if you don't feel empowerment behind the word trans or non-binary, if you're like, I identify transgender, not non-binary, that's okay. That's not how you want to identify. You want to identify as a pineapple. You're a pineapple, babe. Okay. <laughs> what? Yeah. Don't let anybody else tell you any different, you know? Don't let anybody else or your doctor or your mom or some asshole at the store. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Frankie. Uh, yes, thank and you. to keep up with him, you can find them at Every Head is My Canvas on Instagram and also at The Art of Frankie. Uh, and you can also check out their partner at Candy Liqueur. And that's L-E-C-O-U-E-U-R. Very tricky. You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production. Your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Holly, 
Story Research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastien. This is Southern Queries.